So we are continuing the series again through the summer as we're kind of covering the gospel of Luke. And again, we're going chapter by chapter, well, in two chapter chunks. So each week we're looking at two different chapters, the next two chapters of the gospel. Um, Today we are in Luke 7 and 8. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me up to Luke chapter 7. Um, And today we're going to truly do just an overview, flyover of these couple chapters because there are several little stories in these two chapters. And and again, we've gotten to the place in the gospel where now Jesus is, is, is publicly out there, right? He has attracted crowds. He's done miracles. He's, he's invited the disciples. I mean, there's the, this is the, the true public phase of his ministry and of his time on earth. And, and as we see this, he starts to, to introduce some, just the core teachings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right, what it means to understand who God is and that he is, is the all-powerful God, right? That, that, that he's a, a triune God, that he's a God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all these three parts of one true God. Right? And, and as he starts to interact with this, again, even even the power of the Messiah and what the Messiah was sent to do and you know, to step in our place and to, to provide a way of freedom, right? to purchase our salvation, to do away with old covenant. Right, that was established through Abraham and Moses and, and the old Jewish law and Torah right, to bring in the new phase of the covenant of grace, right, the new covenant. It was sealed with Christ's blood. I mean, so it's what we celebrated today with communion and, and that covenant of grace, right, the fact that we acknowledge that God is God right, and that we need a relationship with that God because we're not God, right? And, and we can't save ourselves. I mean, we... we because the wages of our sin is death. I mean, praise God, right? That was the whole mission of the Messiah, was to step in to take our place to purchase our freedom and our salvation for eternity. And by us acknowledging that, receiving him as our Savior, we then step into the journey of faith. Right? That's how you join the journey of faith, right? And, and yet again, that moment of salvation, that moment of conversion, right? Uh, of, of transformation from God's creation to God's child, our identity changes. We talked about saw this earlier in the gospel, right? And then we enter into the life of faith, right? Of the day-to-day walk with Christ and being transformed by the Spirit every day, becoming more like Christ, right? He is our, our example to follow of what it means to be a human surrendered to the will of the Father. And as we look at all this, again, in chapter 7 and 8, there's a theme that runs through all of these different little stories in these two chapters. And there's several places where Jesus talks about faith. Again, faith is one of those words that, that is so foundational to our faith. It's one that we, we throw out and we use it a lot, but yet, do we truly understand what it means? And Jesus teaches lots of lessons and through some different interactions. And like I said, through this chapter, he has several interactions with different people, right? Jewish people, Pharisees, Roman officers, um, committed Jewish followers, and even his own disciples, right? And there's all these different interactions, and yet there's this, this common thread that runs through all of these stories, and it's faith. Hey, I want to look at just, as we look at all these different stories this morning and, and, and this thread that pulls them all together in faith. But before we look at these stories, I want to first start with the biblical definition of faith. Okay, it is given to us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says that faith 
shows the reality of what we hope for, and is the, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Again, faith, so it shows the reality of what we hope for, right? Of, of what we hope for that is actually true, right? And that's what our faith is put in. Again, what do we hope for? Well, we hope for eternal life, right? We hope for, for an unhindered relationship with God. We hope to experience his love and his grace and even his justice every day, right? That's what we hope for. That's what fills the gap in our soul, right, that was left by by our sin and by God being separated from us because of our sin, right? That is what we hope for completeness, right? For, for fulfillment in life, not just for this earthly life, but for eternity, right? We hope for an unhindered relationship with our God, right? And, and again, faith is the reality that that is true, right? And how we get that. Again, and it's the evidence of things we cannot see, See, the interesting thing, right, as we even look at this again with faith, and because there isn't, there's, is this aspect of faith of the fact that, you know, well, is there a God? Because I can't see him. Right? Is the Holy Spirit active in the world? Because I don't, you know, I don't physically see the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's only one place in Scripture we see a physical manifestation of Scripture, and we saw that when Jesus was baptized, right? It came down as a dove. But again, it's things unseen. I mean, the reality is even us as followers of Jesus today in 2022 is we're not like these disciples, right, who saw Jesus, who interacted with him. They knew that he was alive. They, they even struggled right in front of him with their own faith and his teachings and how does it all fit together. And yet they, they watched him die and they saw him resurrected, right? They followed Jesus because of experience and fact, right? We follow Jesus because of faith. Right, in things we have not seen, but yet we know are true. Yeah, yeah, we know they're true because we're told about them, right, through scripture, I mean, through, through history, through all these different ways. And, and then again, we rely on our faith. It's, it's stepping off the cliff, not knowing what's under us, right? And why do we do it? Because God tells us to, and he promises to catch us. Again, again, there's a difference between knowledge and faith, right? And I think that just a perfect, just basic illustration is that I can, I can believe, right, that that chair you're sitting in will hold me up, right? But the put faith in the chair is to actually sit in it, right? There's a difference between belief, right? I can look at the facts, right, and a faith. I, I can believe the chair will hold me up, but I put faith in it when I sit in it. And when we think about this idea of faith, and, just, and again, it's truly the foundation of our belief in God, right? In our relationship with God is how we have that relationship. Right? We have to take that step of faith to receive him as our Savior. And we continue to take a similar step of faith every day when we follow him. Right? And the more we learn, the more we realize who God is and who we are and what he's asking us to do. So throughout these chapters, again, if you have your Bibles with you, open with me to Luke chapter 7 and 8. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different stories today. So we're um, we're not going to read all of them word for word. I encourage you to do that because we just simply don't have time to do that today. But uh, we're going to just kind of look at two different kinds of faiths, right, that are are covered here in these chapters. The first is I want to look at faith that prevails. Okay, faith that is strong, faith that is a successful faith. 
Okay, now we see several pictures of this through these different interactions and stories. First, in Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10, there is this, the, we see the faith of a Roman officer. You know, this is a story, again, in these where um, this Roman officer, he's a high-ranking Roman officer. He has a slave that is sick and dying. Okay, this is a slave that he cares for deeply. And so he sends word to Jesus to come and to heal his servant. Again, he sends word to Jesus. He gets there and says, hey, I have a servant who's sick. I need you to heal him, right? I mean, so he's already presenting a faith, right? He believes that Jesus can do it, right? And so he sends this messenger there. But in the midst of this, in a time, he then a second messenger comes saying with, with a, a new message to Jesus, right? And this message says that, that this officer is not even worthy of needing Jesus, He's saying, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence, but I know you can still heal from afar, so that's my request. I'm not even asking you to come, Jesus. Just just heal my servant. Just say the word, and I know what will happen. And and we see that this is kind of the setup of this story through these first 10 verses. Then we see the conclusion of it, right, in 7-9. In Luke 7-9, it says, Then when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Now, this is a pretty significant statement by Jesus for a few reasons, right? One is he's acknowledging the faith of a Roman officer. Now, again, the Romans were not um, allies of the Jews, right? That's saying it softly. And yet here, so again, he's acknowledging, and, and the Romans were typically were not religious people. I mean, they had, they had religious beliefs, but they had all kinds of, I mean, they were all over the place, right? And, and so, again, for him, for Jesus to acknowledge a, a true faith from a Roman, not just a Roman, but a Roman officer, right, was incredibly significant. Yeah, now, the other side of this is not only does he acknowledge his faith, but he also compares it to the faith of those in Israel, Right now, this was not only acknowledgement of the faith of the Roman officer, but this literally was a dig at Israel, right? Who was supposed to be the most faithful people in the world? They are God's chosen people, right? They are super devoted to their their religion, right? And so, this this is a very significant statement by Jesus about the power of faith, right, and what true faith is. And then we see this the next story where we have um, a prevailing faith, right? A successful faith is in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And this is where we see the faith of a sinful woman. Okay, now in, this, in these verses, in this story, Jesus goes to dinner at a Pharisee's house. Okay, and then this woman comes and washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. And then she puts expensive perfume on his feet and anoints him in this way. And again, this is literally the story that we sang about in this song earlier in the service. And as we see the sinful woman come into the Pharisee's house, right? And again, there, when she comes in, she's instantly judged by everybody else there, right? This is a sinful woman. Again, they don't even acknowledge, we don't even know her name. All we know is that that's her identity, right? Is sinful woman. Okay, then, then Jesus 
um, knows what's happening, right? I mean, because he's God, right? And so he knows what's happening. He knows the thoughts and the judgments that are being placed um, by everybody in the room on this woman. And, and so Jesus calls out his host on his attitude. Talk about an awkward dinner, right? Yeah, and then not only does he call him out, but he forgives the woman, Right? And when he forgives the woman, this creates even more tension right, and disturbance among the dinner guests. Okay? And, and we see here in this story, okay, in, in 7 verse 50, the conclusion of this story, and it says, And Jesus says to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again, isn't it interesting, right, that the religious elite left this dinner in more turmoil than they came in, right? And yet this sinful woman's faith brought her peace, right? Again, a very powerful story and experience for the woman, right? And a pretty, I'm sure a pretty powerful experience for the Pharisees he ate with as well. And then as we move on, we see some more um, just prevailing faith, right? And in fact, moving forward to Luke chapter 8, I mean, towards the end of this chapter, we have a story, um, uh, an intertwined story, right? And this is where we see the faith of Jairus and of the suffering woman. Okay, and these two stories are intertwined. Okay, in fact, when we read through these verses and we hear these stories, Okay, is that we kind of bounce between the two. It starts talking about Jairus, and Jairus had a daughter who was sick and dying. Okay, and so he comes to Jesus to plead her case. Right, and he invites Jesus to come with him to his house to heal his daughter. Right, he's at this point of desperation. And again, every parent can identify with this moment, right? When your kid is struggling and there's nothing you can do to help them. And so he does the only thing that he knows that is left to do, and that's, I'm going to bring Jesus. Right? And so he comes to Jesus. They're on the way to his house. And on the way to his house, there's this huge crowd, right? And in the midst of this crowd, there's people pressing up. There's this lady in the crowd, right? And she sneaks her way through the crowd, and she literally just touches the bottom of Jesus' robe. Okay, she doesn't talk to him. There's no interaction. There's nothing. She literally just comes, and because her faith tells, if I can just touch even just the, the hem of his robe, I will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. Right? She just, she just brushes against his robe, and she is instantly healed. Okay, and now, um, with this said, right, is Jesus then stops, right? And, and in the story, he's like, hold on, who touched me, right? And even his disciples ca- ca- come out, and they're like, Jesus, everybody's touching you, right? Like, we're in the middle of the crowd. Like, everybody's pushing up against you. Like, we're trying to get away, you know? Like, Jesus, what, what do you mean, right? And he says, no, there's some, something significant happened, right? It says he felt the, the healing power leave him, right? And, he's like, and so, again, he called out. He's like, who was it? Right? You know who you are. Identify yourself, right? And again, that's that moment, right, when your, your heart sinks, right? And you're like, oh, I'm found out, right? But then again, the woman identifies herself and, and notice um, then Jesus' reaction to her when she identifies herself in 8, verse 48, right? Is he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
Okay, now again, we, in this story, once again, just like the sinful woman, right, is, again, we don't even know her name. Okay, her identity in this moment, before she finds Jesus, is suffering woman. Right, and notice the way that Jesus identifies her. Okay, this is very significant. Right, because remember when we talked about identity? Right here, she's called out. She's like, I found out, right, in the midst of this, right? And, and he looks, and he looks her in the eyes. And I can just imagine this scene, right, of like their eyes locking, right? And, and, and him looking at her and be like, daughter. Right, and in that moment, not only was she physically, she was already physically healed, right? But I'm thinking that moment, her soul was healed. Right, as she felt her identity shift. Right, as he calls her daughter and he says, your faith has made you well. Again, go in peace. Right, probably something this woman has never experienced. Right, she'd been suffering for years. Right, and then in the midst of all this, right, this is all happening. And in all the, this commotion, this delays Jesus with Jairus. Right, and then the, during this time, right, his daughter is home sick and dying. Okay, in fact, his daughter was so sick that she literally dies in the midst of this delay. Okay, but, but then, uh, again, the, Josh says, come on, Jesus, we got to go. Like, you know, can you imagine, right? He's like, come on, Jesus, like, speed this process up. We got to go, right? Like, my daughter's sick. She's, she's on her last breath. And, and then we see, the, again, the conclusion of this story, um, again, is in verse 50. Where he says, but when Jesus heard what had happened, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith, she will be healed. Because again, in the midst of this commotion, you know what? The messenger comes and says, Jairus, don't even, just leave Jesus alone. She's dead. Right? Like, it's, it's too late. Right? Like, in the midst of all this delay, and the, this is, Jesus says, he, he heard what happened, right? And he's like, don't worry about it, Jairus. I got this. It's going to be fine. Right? And so he literally shows up, right? And then he arrives at the house, he walks in there, and he literally brings this girl back to life. Right? And, and Jesus, again, does this incredible miracle. Right? And again, he says, don't, right? What does he tell Jairus, though? Even in this, he says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Right? It, it's all going to be fine if you just have faith confidence in what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Or just have faith. You know, we see the, in these, these several different interactions throughout these chapters, right, of, of a very successful faith, right? A faith that prevails. Right? A faith that is commended by Jesus. Now also though in these chapters, right, is we see, again, on all these people, these are kind of, these are fringe people, right? These are people that have heard about Jesus, that, that believe from, even from afar in a ways, right? That, and yet they have a very prevailing faith. Okay, these are, again, we can, we love these stories, right? These are the ones where we're like, yeah, like, that's what I want, right? That's, I want to be that person, right? I want that faith. But there's also the other side of faith, that we see in these stories, right? We also see faith that struggles. And in these stories, 
um, in these chapters, right, there are, are two very significant points of a struggling faith. You know, and the, both of these points, again, are not fringe people. Okay, these are people that are very close to Jesus. Right, ones that we would sit back and be like, oh, of course they have a saving faith. Okay, the first struggling faith we see in Luke 7, 18 through 30. And this is actually the struggling faith is that of John the Baptist. Okay, and in this story, John the Baptist questions his faith in Jesus. He questions whether Jesus really is the Messiah. This is the same John that baptizes Jesus, right? This is Jesus' cousin, right? This is the same John that we saw in the very first chapter, right? That like that leapt in the womb when, when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house. Okay, this is the same John that had been preaching in, in the wilderness and baptizing people and saying, be ready for the Messiah because he's coming, right? This is the same guy. Right, that has this incredibly strong faith that we all put on a pedestal. This is the same guy that's like, Jesus becomes more and more as I become less and less. Right, we we literally quote that verse as as a model faith, right, of a way the way to do life with God. And yet, in this moment, he has a moment of struggle. Right, he's literally in jail. Okay, being persecuted for his faith. Yeah, in this moment, he sends some of his followers to Jesus. Because he's struggling. Okay, and he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him this really important question. You know what question they ask of Jesus? Hey, John really wants to know, are you really the Messiah? That's the question. Right? And again, John, in the midst of struggle, he questions his faith in Jesus. And then we, so again, Jesus, I mean, he answers the question, right? Again, he doesn't come back with like, John, go back and tell John he's crazy. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't insult John. He doesn't demean him, right? He literally just answers the question. He just tells him, go back and tell John to remember what you've experienced. Right? Remember what you know is true. You've seen the miracles, right? You remember the dove coming down. Remember the voice of the fire. Just remember what you know is true, John. And then in verse 28, okay, Jesus says this. Right? After he answers the question, he sends the messengers back. And then he says this to the crowd. He says, I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Again, this is an incredibly powerful statement, right? In, in the fact that, that this is the same John, right, who is in the midst of doubting struggle and questioning his faith. And yet Jesus says, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Again, we look at this verse, and we're like, okay, like, so a struggling faith can be, can be good? And again, because what Jesus is saying in the statement, as far as earthly standards go, even as well as, as just the biblical prophets, right? He's saying John is at the top of that heap, right? Because John was, was an anointed prophet of God, right? With this very specific role. And that role was to pave the way for the Messiah. And it was one that John did very well. He says, as far as the, the prophets go, John is the top because he's the prophet that paves the way for the Messiah. And the Messiah was the final prophet. 
Right? He's like, even amidst all of them, there, there's none greater than John. And yet, he says, even in John's earthly status is nothing compared to the identity we are given as God's child. Right? Again, he says, yeah, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Meaning that through Christ, through receiving him as our Savior and accepting him and, and joining the journey of faith, right? That, that, that then you are now adopted into God's family, just like John is, just like everybody. And, and everybody is on that same plane, right? We all have the same identity. We are God's child. And there's none greater. There's nothing greater than that identity. Right? And as we see that, right, we again, even in the midst of a struggling faith, right, Jesus commends John, right, and again, just reminds John and saying, don't forget who you are, right, even in the midst of struggle, don't forget, John, right, and, and again, he's telling us the same thing, even in the midst of struggle, don't forget, don't forget who you are. Yeah, the, the other time we see a struggling faith, okay, is actually the disciples themselves, Okay, they're literally with Jesus in Luke, Luke 8, 22 through 25. Okay, this is where the disciples are, 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 they question, are questioned by Jesus about their faith. They're in the midst of a storm. They're out in, in a boat, right? They're crossing the Sea Galilee, and, they, and, they, and the storm comes up, and, and literally Jesus is asleep in the boat while they cross the sea. And then, and again, the storm comes up, the disciples get scared, and so they wake up Jesus, Right? And they wake up Jesus, and you know what Jesus does? He wakes up, and he literally says, stop, wind and waves, and it stops. Like, he calms the storm. And, and then he, he turns to them, and he asks them this in verse 25, where he says, where is your faith? Okay, and the disciples were terrified and amazed. Now, again, we've all kind of, we've been there before, right? Where you're terrified and amazed all at the same time. Right? They're terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They ask each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Right? Again, in the midst of this, they're, again, they're, Jesus calls them out on their lack of faith in the midst of this situation. Again, both of these are the most core followers of Jesus in the Gospels. And yet they both have struggles with their faith. It doesn't mean that their faith isn't there. It doesn't mean that they aren't saved. It just means that they're normal. <laughs> it means they're human. Again, we, I think we learn from this, right, that, that we need to see our questions, our struggles, and even our doubts as a growth step in our faith journey, not as a failure. Okay, we need to see our struggles, our questions, our doubts as a growth step, not a failure. It, it does not mean that your faith is not there. Even when your faith struggles, it doesn't mean it's not there. It means you're growing. It means you're about to find out something you don't already know. Okay, and the reality is that God is truth, right? It's at the core of who he is. And truth has nothing to hide. And when truth has nothing to hide, it's not afraid of your questions. It's not afraid of your doubt because it has answers. It's truth. Okay, so do not deny your questions or your struggles. Hey, don't see them as a failure of your faith. See them as an opportunity to grow. See them as an opportunity to move forward, right? They are a growth step, not a failure of your faith. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your doubts. There are answers. Ask away.
Like God's saying, just come to me, child, and just we'll figure it out, right? You know, through, I, I've watched several different documentaries about different world religions, and in fact, I've talked with many of you guys about different faiths and backgrounds and different things, and there's many different world religions and faiths, right, that, that, that push away questions. In fact, it just, um, I've heard this phrase, again, I heard it in a couple different documentaries, and even some of those, even literally in our own church, as they've gone through journey, journey classes, and they've said this, they've said, when they've asked questions or brought up doubts about who God is or about their faith, they are, they've been told to just put that on the shelf. Okay, and what's meant by that is, that's not a valid question, don't even go there, like, you, there, there's not an answer, just, just believe and just keep going. Right? And I will tell you, if anybody ever tells you that, that needs to be a red flag for you. If somebody tells you that, if a, if a leader or a religious authority tells you just to put it on the shelf, there's no good answer, run from that. Because God is 100% truth, and he is not afraid of your questions, and he's not afraid of your doubts, and he has nothing to hide. Ask your questions. And again, if you bring me a question that I know the answer to, then, then we'll, we'll seek God together and we'll figure it out. Because I believe 100% that God has the answers to your questions. He has nothing to hide. And, and if you're told that you can't ask that question, then that needs to be a red flag for you to run from that faith. In fact, I literally read in my devotions just last week in, in Acts, right, is we are literally told to check up on our teachers, right, in Scripture. And again, that's one of the things I tell you in journey classes we go through there. I tell you in journey one, right, is that if you have a question or if you something, I say something that doesn't make sense, I want you to question me. It, because, again, I, I'm here to present the truth to you. And if I present something that's not of God, I want to know that I failed. And, and I want to make it right. right. That's why I encourage you to read the scriptures yourself. Right? Don't, just, don't just take what I say. Right? Read it yourself. Yeah, as we see all of this, right, there, there's, we see a, a prevailing faith, we see a struggling faith, and then it all kind of culminates into this, uh, this passage in Luke 8, 14, verses 4 through 15. Okay, and this is where Jesus gives a parable, and I want to read this one. Okay, Luke 8, uh, starting at verse 4. And it says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. And as he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks, and it began to grow, but the, the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. And still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach uh, the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they fall away when they face temptation. 
The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the, on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produced a huge harvest. Again, this is a parable, right? And again, Jesus, this is one of those parables where Jesus not just gives the parable, but he also explains it. Okay, and, and in this, we learn how to apply parables, right? I mean, Jesus is teaching us how to interpret parables. And in the midst of this, right, Jesus uses this parable about faith, right? About how faith lasts and produces fruit in our life. That's supposed to be the goal of our faith, right? Is to produce a harvest, fruit. Jesus describes four different kinds of faith in this parable. And again, as we've seen, we've seen a prevailing faith and a failing faith and a struggling faith. And now here Jesus lays it out, right? Here's all kinds of faith. Okay, the first faith that he describes is, is in the word lands on the path, right? And this is those that have no faith. And he says, I mean, it's exactly what he says. He says they hear about Jesus, but they never engage, right? They just say, nope, that's just a crazy myth. I'm just going to, they just walk away instantly and they never accept it. Yeah, the next one is, 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 is the, the seed that goes among the rocks, right? And the rocks represent a shallow faith. Right? These are ones that they hear the word of Jesus, right? They accept it, they engage, they go all in, right? But it's short-lived. Right? They get pulled away. Right? And, they, and they, they never truly engage or truly follow Jesus. They're not willing to make any changes. Right? Like, this is a faith that, like, yep, it's great on Sunday, but forget about all of it on Monday. Okay, and then we see the next faith that Jesus describes is the faith among the thorns. Okay, and this is a distracted faith. Okay, this is a faith that, that takes root. Right? They are committed followers of Jesus. Right? They're, they're there. They're, they're even um, somewhat faithful, right, to the things of God. They... they, they, they they do a lot of right things, but they also struggle, right? Because they struggle, right, with everything else of this world. They get pulled away. They, they, and other things just get in the way of truly following Jesus, right? They don't make a lot of changes in their lives, right? And, and, and again, God's there, right? But he's their Savior, but he's not their Lord. He's a part of their life, but he's not the king of their life. Right? Life is still about them, not always about Jesus. In fact, as I look at this one, and I look at just the state of not just Oregon Trail, but I think of just the American church, as I would tell you, as I feel like that the church, this describes the majority of the church today. And, and again, as a pastor, as a Christian, it breaks my heart. Right? Because this kind of faith, right, is one that, again, I, I feel like is prevailing in our world, in our culture. And yet it's also a faith that misses out on the, the, the richness and depth and power of God. And then we have the fourth kind of faith. Right, the fertile soil faith. This is a faith that grows to maturity. 
And, and not only does it grow to maturity, but it's a faith that produces a harvest. And again, I put this in quotations, right, a harvest, because this is, this is, a, is a general term, right? Again, harvest looks very different for different people, depending on where you're at in your journey, depending on, you know, your, your own circumstances of life and backstory and all those kinds of things. Harvest looks different for different people. Hey, but here's some general observations, right? General observations, when you look at salvation based on this faith, right? The three of the four of them have a saving faith, but not necessarily a growing faith. Hey, only one of the four, 25%, get to a mature faith that actually produces fruit. Again, and also the other general description I see here is that Jesus is describing the faith journey. And again, when we look at these, I think when we look at these four different kinds of faith, I think we need to understand that what Jesus is describing here is growth stages, not ending points. Okay, the goal of every faith is a harvest, to be a disciple that makes other disciples. And I think that's part of the journey, right, is everybody, uh, likely, the first time they hear about Jesus, kind of has a reaction of like, nope, doesn't make sense to me. It's good for you, not for me. Right? And then if they keep hearing it, right, then they end up with a shallow faith. They engage, and yet they start to grow. But yet, as soon as the, the next wind of teaching comes or, or the lure of the world, they, it, just, it just goes away. Right? And yet, if they continue to progress, they'll get to a distracted faith. Right? It takes root in their life. And they'll grow through this. Again, the goal of every faith, the goal of the Great Commission, right, is to be a disciple who makes other disciples. To be a mature believer. And we need to look at these different kinds of faith as growth stages, not ending points. Because again, if you find yourself in, even in stage two, right, then you're not stuck there. And don't stop there. Again, I feel like most of the American church is in stage three. Don't stay there. Keep growing. Right? It's a growth stage. It's a part of a phase of your journey. Make sure it's a phase of your journey because you can decide if it's an end point. Make that choice. I'm not staying there. I'm moving forward. Right? I'm going to keep growing in my faith. Again, we see this in verse 15, right at the end. It says, those that get there, they patiently await. Right? Meaning, again, it's, it's a process, right? We cannot expect instant results. Right? And then if we patiently work the ground, right, and wait for the harvest and just keep moving, take a step forward every day in my journey, right, closer to Jesus tomorrow than I am today. I just keep working, patiently work through my faith journey, right, then I end up at the next awesome word in that verse, and that is a huge harvest. Again, we get a small taste of harvest in our life, and then oftentimes it starts to get hard and we just give up. But what is, what, what's hard in the moment will pay off in the long term. Okay, and even if your faith is struggling, keep going. Keep going. James 2, 19 and 20 and verse 26 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Well, good for you, because even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Again, how foolish. Right? Again, he's saying just belief is not enough. What you need is faith. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Right? You've got to apply what you believe. You have to live it out for your faith to grow. Again, harvest, good works. These are very open-ended phrases. 
right? They, it, again, it look diff, it have different meanings depending on where you're at in your faith journey, right? And what season you're in and all those kinds of things. But the, the ultimate question is, is your faith growing? Right? Are you serving in all areas of your life? Are you showing hope, sharing hope with others? Are you leading by example, right? There's all kinds of different ways that harvest and growth will play out in your life. Okay, are you growing? Are you moving forward? That is the goal of our faith. And faith is the key to your journey moving forward. Being certain of what you hope for and believing in what you cannot see. What is your faith like today? Do you have a saving faith in Jesus? I hope you do. If you don't, if you're still in phase one, then today is the day to move forward to phase two. If you're in phase two, then move forward to three. If you're in three, then get out of three and move to four. Okay, and if you're in four, stay there. <laughs> keep growing, keep sharing, keep moving, right? Because our, this faith journey, this earthly faith journey is not over until we're face-to-face -face with Jesus. And that's when this earthly faith journey ends and our heavenly journey begins. But until that day, if there is still breath in your lungs, you have to keep moving forward. Take a step forward today, whether that's a saving step to be a saving faith, to be adopted into God's family by receiving him and inviting him into your life for the first time, then do that. If it's moving forward through faith, then move forward. Okay, here's my final thought, Matthew 17, 20. And Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible. If there's something in your life right now that feels impossible, Turn to your faith, and it will not be impossible, because God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he can do it. Put your faith in him. Don't put your faith in anything else. Don't put it in this world. Don't put it in the government. Don't put it in your pastor. Don't put it in your church. Put it in God. He has the power to move mountains. Rely on his power. Again, wherever you're at in your faith, take a step forward this morning. Strengthen that faith. Lord, we praise you today that you are Lord of all. Lord, that you are the one true God. That is truth. It's a part of your character. And God, we thank you that as truth, you have nothing to hide. You're not afraid of our questions or our doubts, even a struggling faith. God, we thank you for the encouragement that you give us. And Lord, I pray, God, for each one of us here right now and all those watching online and no matter where we're at or where we hear it, God, that we would move forward in our faith. God, if there's a question or, or doubt that's holding us back, God, that you would reveal your truth. God, that we would feel your love and your spirit and your truth. God, we thank you, God, for saving us, for changing our identity. God, for setting us free, for giving us a saving faith and a growing faith and a faith that will pro produce a huge harvest. And God, we pray, Lord, that we would be people that would help you with that harvest that we would be a church that would help you with that harvest. God, as we go this week, help us to represent you well. Not just take a step forward in our own faith, but to invite others into that journey as well. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for changing us, transforming us to be more like you every day. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.